Well, thank you so much. I appreciate Brother Mike. Uh, Caroline and I have known uh, Mike Cat for over 45 years. So anything y'all would like to know, just let us know. We've, we've watched him for a long time. Appreciate Caroline is sitting right down here. I didn't uh, acknowledge her there the last time, so you'll know. We've been married 62 years, and we think it's going to work. So... Uh, we, uh, we're just delighted to be here. We've been here a number of times over the years and so grateful. I've uh, been praying for Brother Mike, as all of you have. Uh, we've texted several times every week uh, for the whole time he's been in the Knoxville area. And, uh, I know, I tell you, he's ready to come home, I'll tell you that. So you're going to uh, be welcoming him soon. I think he finishes up uh, first round of treatment at least this week. So. I uh, know he'd want to say hello to you. By the way, when we, land, when we got on the airplane yesterday, we were sitting down and Tom Ellis called. Uh, you know, I, I thought, well, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting on an airplane to fly down to Atlanta and go down to Sherwood. He said, well, tell those folks hi for us. They, they love, love you and appreciate you. And by the way, we sit every Sunday at our church with Barry and Pat McCarty. And so when we're not out preaching like this, we're sitting together in our church and uh, uh, he called me this week said, be sure and tell those folks that we love them. So you've got a lot of folks around the country that love you, whose lives you've impacted, and uh, we're two of those, and we're very grateful just to be back, and uh, thank you for the privilege of, of letting us be here today. Come back now tonight, and we'll have uh, some time together as we're going to look at, at uh, perhaps an unusual uh, experience the Apostle Paul had and uh, how the Holy Spirit led him. So we'll look at that tonight. But we're, we're reading this morning from John chapter 7. John chapter 7, if you would uh, open your Bibles to that chapter, we're going to read uh, verses 37 to 39, and I'll read it for us. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. As is true in any scripture passage, the important thing is what does the, what's the context? Now that's a great statement. Those three verses re, re, reveal for us a remarkable time when Jesus extended an offer for anyone who was thirsty, had any need in their lives to come, and he would satisfy that thirst. But when you understand the, cult, the context of it, it's even more dramatic. The festival that was spoken of in, in uh, verse 37, according to verse 2, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Your translation might call it the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Booths. It is called all three of that in Scripture, and sometimes it is just called a feast. Uh, and everybody will know what feast they're talking about. Josephus, the historian, said this was the favorite feast of all the feasts. This was the one that the Jews enjoyed the most. And, and I'll have to tell you, it was a festive time. Eight days in the Old Testament, it was six, seven days. And it, it started with a, a day of solemn assembly. And then the last day was the day of solemn assembly, but it was not part of the festival. But by New Testament times, it incorporated all eight days of, the, uh, of, that, uh, of that week. And so it was, a, it was the favorite time for them. I, I cannot describe it. We don't have time to go into all of it, but I, I, can't, I don't have the words to really describe it. It was like a carnival. 
I mean, there was something going on all the time. Activities, right and left. There were things for the children, games for the children. Uh, just everything was active. There were ceremonies and, and uh, all of these things going on. It was a very boisterous and loud time. Some historians even say they don't even think the people slept that week. I mean, it went all night long. I mean, it was so festive. They built towers uh, around the temple, 50-foot towers, and they put lamps on top of them. And throughout the, that week, the uh, Jew, little Jewish priests would be climbing up and down, pouring oil up there so the lamps wouldn't go out. The, the women now in Jewish worship didn't get to worship with the men. They had a separate place. But during the Feast of Tabernacles, they built a grandstand overlooking, looking down into the temple, and the women could sit up there and participate in a way they didn't get to do any other time. It was a happy festive times. Leviticus 23 gives us the specifics about what they were to do. They were to leave their homes and they were to build booths or shelters. Uh, in East Texas, we call them lean-tos. Y'all know what a lean-to is? Yeah, it, it was just little, little shelters. You sometimes see them on ranches where they feed the cattle and they have a covering over that. It was just a little, little shelter or booth, and they were to leave their homes, and they were to live in those booths, those little tabernacles, for the entire Feast of Tabernacles. And Leviticus 23 says the reason was, God said, I don't want them to ever forget there was a time when they didn't have a home. They wandered in the wilderness they didn't have a place to call their own. And I want them to remember that. And so he instructed them to make those little tabernacles. They would be made out of, out of branches, of palm branches, and, and uh, the branches of thick trees, whatever the trees those might have been. They were to space them just so you could see the, the sun and the moon. You could feel the wind blowing through them. But for, for those eight days, they did not live in their homes. And those booths sprang up all over the city of Jerusalem, in the aisles, uh, in, the, in the alleys, and in the road, walkways. In, on top of the houses, most of them were flat tops, there'd be booths there. But for that week, they had to move out and live in those, those booths for that week. A lot of activities were involved in it because it was a festive occasion. If you wrapped up Christmas, New Year's, Easter, and Fourth of July, put it into one festival, that would be the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, it was a, a roaring good time for all. It was a great time. It was a time to celebrate the rains that had brought the harvest, and the first harvest was in. There was a latter harvest to come, and so the key feature of the Feast of Tabernacles was water. And the water represented the, the thanksgiving of the people for the rains that came and for the harvest that had just been gathered. And also it was an acted out prayer for the next harvest, for they needed more rains for the second harvest, the latter harvest could come. And since this is Christmas season, there was a tie to Christmas with the uh, Feast of Tabernacles because the water also represented their understanding that God had promised a Messiah. That the Messiah of prophecy had been made and the people anticipated the coming of the Christ. And, and so the water in the ceremony was a, an acted out prayer for the return uh, uh, for the coming of the Messiah. It, it had all of these facets of meaning wrapped up. And every day they had a certain ceremony. Every day a white-robed priest carrying a golden pitcher would lead a procession of priests. They would come out of the temple area. The people that were there lined the, the walkway from the temple down to the water gate. 
they had branches that they'd been told to bring, palm branches, thick tree branches, and they brought those branches. The procession would come down to the water gate. They would go out of the water gate and down to the pool of Siloam. And there the priest would dip the pitchers in the water and fill them with water. And then the procession would come back. They would come through the water gate. And uh, they would quote Isaiah 12, 3, with joy shall you drink from the wells of salvation. And then they would... Uh, uh, they would quote the, the uh, sing the Hallel, Psalm 116 to 118, and when they talked about the goodness of God and his love endures forever, the people would shout and wave those branches as the procession made its way up to the temple, enough to make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It was a, ph a phenomenal, loud, boisterous time as they came to the temple area. Get to the temple area, they walked around the, the altar one time, and then the priest would come and pour the water into a silver funnel, and it would splatter the water all over the, all over the altar. And when that happened, the people let out a, just a roar. Like when your team scores a touchdown, the stands just erupt. And it was that, it was that kind of loud, boisterous cheer and, and uh, chant. And, and it, was, it was just a, a wonderful time of celebration. Now, they did this for seven days. On the eighth day, they did the same thing with two differences. They went down to Pool of Siloam. They came back through the water gate. They quoted Isaiah 12, 3, sang the Hallel. When they came into the temple area, they marched seven times around the altar. And that was symbolic of the sevenfold circuit of the city of, of Jericho, remember, when they walked seven times around it and the walls came tumbling down. So they did it seven times. And then the priest, as he came to the, to the great funnel with his pitcher, when he raised the pitcher to pour the water into the funnel, there was no water in the pitcher on the last day. It was a reminder to them that God's promised Messiah had not yet come. Uh, it, it made sense to me when I read this, uh, when I studied this, because uh, when in the world could, could Jesus have made this statement with a loud crowd? Well, when there was no water in the pitcher, there was stony silence at that moment. Jesus stood up, and with a loud voice, he cried out, Anyone's thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. Out of his innermost being, those who believe will have streams of living water flow within them. What a dramatic moment, interrupting the ceremony, shattering the silence. Jesus stood and delivered his message, incredible message, and then two things I would say about it that apply to us. Number one, it was, a, it, was a, uh, it was an unlimited provision that he was offering. Notice he said anyone. Anyone. Now, now what does anyone mean? Anyone. Any nation. Doesn't matter what your language is. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Doesn't matter what your culture is. Uh, it, it, if anyone, anywhere, anytime has thirst... Let him come to me to drink. So it's an, it's an unlimited provision. And, and, and he, the extent of that provision was he didn't describe what that meant. He just said, if you're thirsty, you have any need, whatever that need is, he said, I can satisfy that need. It was a 
uh, a universal offer, universal provision, and, and it was uh, for any, anyone, anywhere, anytime, regardless of what the need might be, any need. But now th- th- with that came a demand. He says you have to come and drink. You have to come and drink. That's the demand. I get thirsty when I preach this. Are y'all thirsty? Let's have a drink. How was that? You, you didn't taste it? Let's try again. Mm, is that better? Oh, I'm just playing with you now, right? You see, hey, listen carefully. Nobody can drink it for you. You, you can't come to Jesus through somebody else. You can't be saved because somebody else is saved. Doesn't matter how godly your parents were. Doesn't matter how, how your siblings, your elders, your good friends. If you're going to drink the water Jesus offers, you've got to come and get it. You've got to come and drink it. And, and now what does that mean? You say, well, how in the world do I do that? Well, John, I love John. John is, uh, is one of the simplest presentations of the, of the gospel that we have. He just said, the one who believes. You see, you, you drink the water through faith. By believing, by receiving, you believe Jesus can do what he promises to do. And you come to him acknowledging you can't do it for yourself, and you receive what he offers. You just trust him. You believe him. That's the requirement. It is an unlimited provision that is offered, but you've got to come and get it. You've got to drink the water yourself. Now, that's how you get saved. Now, let me just say this. There's some of you here who know all about Christ. You know all about the gospel. You know that you, you, know you have a sense that you need to be saved. And uh, you may have had a lot of excuses. You may have described it in different ways. But the truth is you've never come to a place where you invited Jesus to come into your heart. You've never been saved. That has to happen. It has to happen. A time when you for yourself come and welcome Jesus into your heart and receive him. That, that's the promise. If you'll do that. And then he, makes, then he makes an incredible promise when you do that. He says, the one who believes out of his innermost being will flow streams or rivers of living water. Now listen carefully. This is a word to those of us who are saved. God did not save us so we could enjoy being saved. Now I know it's, 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 it's a delight to be saved. But that's not why he saved us. He, he didn't save us so he could take us to heaven. If, if that's why he saved us, then as soon as we got saved, we go to heaven. He left us here. Now, why did he do that? Why did Jesus leave us here after we have received him? Well, he said, the reason is that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Listen carefully. God never gives us his grace. He never saves us just for us to enjoy it. He saves us so we can share it with somebody else. Amen. You see, those of us who have received the water, those of us who've drunk the water of life, he wants us to become distributors. He wants us to distribute that water. He wants us to give it away. 
Uh, he wants us to, to be a part of helping other people come to the same experience. That's why this church is here. That's why you exist. You exist for the purpose of helping other people come to know Christ. In fact, the church may be the only institution in the world that exists for non-members. Now let that soak in a moment. Because listen carefully, it's not about us. It's not about my preferences, what I like, what I don't like, what I want, what I don't want. It's about obeying God to distribute the water of life that he's given to us. It's a stewardship. When we get saved, we become responsible. Apostle Paul said, I'm a debtor to all men. Why was he a debtor? Because God had given him the gift of salvation, the message of redemption. And he said, I, I, I owe everybody that, that sharing what I've received. That's what the church is all about. Rivers of living water flowing from deep within each individual and from the church. Now, y'all done good at that. You know, you've blessed people all over the world. Who would have thought? Some of you can remember when Flywheel came out. I remember it. It, it wasn't an outstanding movie. But it was your effort to help people hear about the gospel. But who could have imagined from Firewheel, uh, fly, Flywheel, you, you would have gone to Facing the Giants and, and Fireproof and courageous, and, and God literally shaking a nation through what you've done. You see, that, that's because you've been faithful stewards of what God entrusted to you. God didn't give that assignment to church I served for many years. Gave it to you. And your faithfulness has made an impact on people around the world, and it's because you gave what you received. You gave what you received. And sometimes, I know you may think, well, I'm just one individual in this church. And this church is just one of over 47,000 Southern Baptist churches. And, and hundreds of thousands of all uh, uh, other churches. We're just one. Let me illustrate something for you. There, there's a great mystery about the uh, source of the great rivers of the world. For instance, that in Africa, they're still arguing over which is the source of the Nile River. Is it the White Nile or the Blue Nile? They, two different places, they come together and form the Nile River. No one knows which one of them is the head, headwaters. They just, uh, they're still arguing about it. Uh, Zebulon Pike, some of you might remember Zebulon Pike. He started out from New Orleans on the Mississippi River to discover the headwaters of Mississippi. He made a mistake when he got to St. Louis. He turned left on the Missouri River and never made it to the headwaters. Uh, he did discover Pikes Peak. He en ended up in Colorado, and he, he discovered Pikes Peak, so we, we named it after him. Don't know how he could have missed it, but he did miss the headwaters of the river. It's somewhere up toward Canada there. there there's always a, a mystique about rivers. Let me get, tell you about one. High up in the Andes Mountains, way up above the freeze line, where the snow never nice, never really melt, but sometimes when the wind's just right and the sun's just right you look on the face of an ice-clad rock there's a little bubble a little gurgle of water that will trace a hesitant course across the face of an ice-clad rock and it gets to the bottom and it drops down behind the ice on the next rock and it's joined by other little gurgles of water and before you know it they're little rivulets and then they're little streams and then your tributaries and 3,600 miles later the amazon river flows into the Atlantic Ocean at a rate of 188 million cubic feet per second. 
And the Atlantic Ocean is fresh water for 60 miles because of the force. But it all started, a little bubble of water, 3,600 miles before, high in the Andes Mountain. You see, that's what happens when we, when we are obedient to God. We may be just one person, one church, but when we do it together and when we join hands and hearts, when we follow the will of God and the, and the opportunities, the open doors that he gives to us, then we become uh, people with, a, with streams of living water flowing from within us and blessing everyone we touch. If you go to Israel today, you'll find there are two major bodies of water in Israel. You have the Sea of Galilee, and you have the Dead Sea. Now, they're both beautiful bodies of water. If you've ever been, uh, it, it's hard to describe and put into words the feeling when you top the hill and for the first time look down at the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's not a big place. It's only 13 miles wide, about seven miles across. You have Lebanon over here and Syria over here. And, uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's breathtakingly beautiful, the Sea of Galilee. It's life-giving. It teems with fish. It's not a deep uh, lake. It's only 148 feet deep. And, uh, but it's below sea level, but it teems with life. And, and Israel today has it blooming like a rose, like a garden, because of water pipe from the Sea of Galilee all the way to the southern Negev uh, in Israel. It's an amazing thing. The Sea of Galilee, life-giving, healthy, vibrant body of water. But out of the southeast end flows the Jordan River. Now, if you get in a canoe, it's about 200 miles. If you're on a crow's back, just 75 miles, but it flows into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. What can I say? The Dead Sea is dead. I mean, there's, there's nothing lives in it except maybe some microscopic amoebic type uh, uh, creatures, but it's dead. Thick with mineral content. If you were to read your newspaper sitting up in the Dead Sea, you'd never get the newspaper wet because you can't sink. I mean, it's heavy with mineral content, but, but it's dead. Now, here, follow me for a minute. Here's the kicker. The same water is in both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Same water. How's one alive and one dead? Well, simple answer. The Sea of Galilee receives in the northwest corner. There are three rivers flow out of Lebanon that flow into the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's really flourished, flourishing when the snow begins to melt in the mountains in Lebanon. They come down. It comes into the, the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And then out of the southeast end of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River flows. So the, the, the Sea of Galilee receives and it gives. It receives and it gives. It receives and it lives. It still lives today. But then it goes down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea receives and receives and receives, never gives, and it dies. Now, folks, that's a picture. That's a picture of a believer in the church that believes that everything's about them. It's not all about us. It, 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 it doesn't, doesn't matter uh, what I want, what I think. What is important is what God says and how, how God 
instructs us on how we're to conduct ourselves. When we get saved, we don't get saved just so we can celebrate being saved. We get saved so we can help somebody else get saved. We drink the water so we can give the water away and someone else can receive it. That's what it's all about. The church that focuses only on itself, on internal things, never reaches out, never goes beyond itself, is going to be a dead church because the church is made to receive and to give. Now, you, you, you have a wonderful history. You're a generous church, and, and generosity is contagious, and, and it's blessed. God blesses it, but that's the way God intended. We'll be givers and livers, or we'll be takers, and we die. You, see, that's our choice. Listen carefully. Now, I'm, I've been through a lot of years. I'm, I'm getting older, but I'm not going to get old. Now, that's a choice. You're going to get older automatically. Nobody can stop that. Your next birthday, you'll be a year older. You won't be a year younger. We're, we're going to get older. But every one of us has a choice about whether we're going to get old. Where we're going to get old. I've been at it a long time, but I don't plan to ever get old. I'm going to keep getting older, but I'm not going to get old. Now, is it harder for me to get around? Yeah. You notice I didn't come up these steps. There's no rail there. A man's got to know his limitations. I know what I can do and what I can't do. I, I can't go up and down those steps without a lot of care. So I go up over here. Now, so things do change. We get to where we can't do some things we used to do. That's okay. That's part of getting older. Just don't get old while you're getting older. And let me just put it in the vernacular of the two bodies of water. You are either going to be a sea of Galilee as you grow older, or you're going to be a dead sea. And, and hey, it's your choice. Don't blame anybody else. Nobody made you that way. That was the choice you made. You, you, can, you can degenerate into a time where you're demanding and self-centered, and you want only what pleases you, what you like, what you want, and, and everybody else is a threat to your happiness and your well-being. You can degenerate into that, but you will die in the process. God never intended that. We're supposed to be seas of Galilee. But if we don't, if we don't do what a sea of Galilee is supposed to do, receives and gives, receives and gives, we're going to be like a dead seed that receives and receives and dies. So, you know, my, my appeal to you today is just very simple. Which are you going to be? Now, you young people may be saying, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not old yet. So I don't. Yeah, you have to make a decision now. You're going to make a decision today whether you're going to be a giver or a taker. It's your choice. My mother told me one time, she said, son, you're not going to be a sweet little old man just for getting old. I said, you're going to have to have some practice. I mean, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to be a sweet young man if you're going to be a sweet old man. You see, you're going to get older, but you don't have to get old in the process. God wants us to live till we die. He wants us to live till he calls us home. And that, that's the joy of what Christ is doing. Come to me if you're thirsty. Whatever the thirst is, doesn't matter. Come to me. I'll, give you, I'll quench your thirst. I'll give you the satisfaction of your deepest needs. But when he does that, it's not just for our benefit. It's for us to become distributors of the water that we receive. So that's my appeal to you this morning. Which, which are you going to be? Sea of Galilee 
of Dead Sea. And when are you going to start being a Sea of Galilee? When's that going to happen? Well, I pray it's already happened, and I hope you'd make the choice today. Lord, I want to be, I want to be a Sea of Galilee in my life so that others are encouraged, others are blessed, others receive the message of the gospel because of me. Big decision, isn't it? Don't blame anybody else. You will be what you choose to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the incredible picture of Christ standing and with a loud voice crying out, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Lord, what an incredible thing you've done. We did not deserve it. None of us deserves to be saved. None of us deserves to serve you in any way. Lord, we, we're completely helpless without you. But Lord, you saved us so we could help others be saved. You saved us so we who drank the water of life can distribute it to others. Lord, you saved us so that we could be a Sea of Galilee and not a dead sea. I just pray, Father, that we'll make the choice. As long as we live, we're going to live for Christ and be a sea of Galilee that encourages and blesses all we come in contact with. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in a moment, we're going to sing, Brother Mark's going to lead us. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you've never been saved, as I said earlier, it's something you have to do yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Doesn't matter how pious your wife or your husband may be, your children, your family. Doesn't matter how many times uh, your uh, family's done this or that. It, it's just a matter of you personally coming to face to face with Christ and inviting him to come into your heart. Lord, I've sinned. I want to receive you into my heart. That may be your decision. You know a lot about Christ. You obviously know something about him and you wouldn't be here. You've been putting it off, but this is the time when you'd make the decision. For the rest of my life, I'm going to trust the Christ who gave his life for me, and I want to be for him a Sea of Galilee for those about me. That'd be your decision. Some ought to join this church. You've been coming, attending, and you know this is where God wants you. What a great fellowship to be a part of. And uh, that would be your decision, to come and say, I want, I, want to, I want to sign up, and I want to be a part of what God's doing here. That would be the decision you'd make. Or maybe, as we had several in the early service, Maybe you'd like to just say to the Lord again, I want, to be a, I want to be a Sea of Galilee. I am not going to be a Dead Sea. You might want to come and kneel here at the altar or here at these benches. Whatever God prompts you to do, there'll be someone here to pray with you at the front. And you want to come pray with them, that'd be great. But make the decision. Lord, be my helper. Nobody else does it. I'll do it. I'll be a Sea of Galilee. That's my choice. God will bless you and others because you did. Let's stand together as we stand, as we sing. As our men are here at the front, I invite you to come out into the aisle, here to this altar, whatever God prompts you to do.